When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, man? Yo. I'm doing a video on Elon Musk. I saw Another. something. Yeah, I saw something interesting. He's talking about the rocket that he's building mm-hmm. and it's pointy. And he's describing why it's pointy. And it's because there's a line in the movie The Dictator that he likes where the dictator comes up and they show him a rocket and he says, make it pointier. So he made the same joke to his team, but then had them do it. And it is actually worse aerodynamically than what they did originally, but he thinks it's funny. Is I, he is he the richest man in the world still now forever? Uh, I don't know about forever, but it's it's fascinating because that mindset is he just does stuff that he thinks is cool. I saw him talking about the truck. They were he was um, talking about the bulletproof windows and why are there bulletproof windows? And he said trucks are cool because they're tough. Mm-hmm. What's cooler or what's tougher than a truck? A tank. Let's make a tank. Mm. That was the whole. That was the thought process behind why it looks like a tank instead of a truck and why it's bulletproof. Interesting. He, he just goes with what is cool. And that's apparently his design philosophy. I so yeah, the Cybertruck to me looked weird when I saw it the first time. Yeah, it does look like, like a car. But our, our friend COO Ivan is like, I think I already put his money down to buy yeah, one. Yeah. He's super stoked to get one. I don't understand it, but I guess there's a huge market out there. Same thing with the flamethrowers that immediately sold out. Well, that's why he did the flame. He, he really seems to just go with what he thinks other people the consumer will think is cool mm-hmm. whereas i think a lot of other people will ask things like is this the most aerodynamic spaceship or is this a truck design that people have ever expressed wanting yeah i watched a video of his and it's the most cliched but most important business advice for what would you tell people and he starts off by kind of poo-pooing mbas he's like i think mm-hmm. there's too many mbas but really what he's saying is i think there's too many meetings i think there's too much attention to finance i think there's too much attention to profit and there's not enough speaking to customers and making good products. Yeah. And so like do fewer meetings, go to the factory floor if you have one, speak to customers if you have them, and just constantly ask yourself, is this the best thing I can make? And the answer will always be no. And so right. just keep just keep doing that, which yeah. is uh so I was I was noticing with the Wall Street bets kind of stuff and now the Pokemon card craze and uh people that I know that are trying to get rich off that are in the influencer game and they're trying to get sponsors to pay them a lot of money and right. i ask them will you take an affiliate deal they're like no way yeah why won't you take an affiliate deal because i don't think i'm going to sell any yeah. <laughs> and it's and everyone we've talked about this is trying to make money without doing anything useful yep. for anyone it's just a big trick constantly so we've got it seems like the most popular part of our economy is gambling essentially sure which is just hey there's x amount of things that have been made i'd like more of them i'm gonna buy bitcoin even though i don't understand it i just believe that without doing any work 
I'll have more stuff right. in and a they're year. Not, they're not necessarily funding cryptocurrency. No, I no. could imagine people saying, well, when I buy Bitcoin, that that's a, a bet that Bitcoin will be successful. And it is a bet that Bitcoin will be mm-hmm. successful. But what it's not doing is helping create infrastructure for it mm-hmm. versus if somebody were to make the PayPal of Bitcoin, let's say, mm-hmm. or, or have an e-commerce store that accepted Bitcoin, was one of the first to accept Bitcoin instead of the dollar. That is helping Bitcoin become mm-hmm. like a fiat currency. Yes. You know what I'm saying? But when you buy it, and I've bought it, you're just hoping it goes up. You're just hoping it goes up 100 times and you can get rich without having to do anything. Sure. And it's also, uh, there's there's a degree to which Bitcoin, it's not perfect like this, but it's it's gambling in the sense that it's closer to a zero-sum game. Like Bitcoin may be a better product than the US dollar mm-hmm. at the end. And we can actually, that's something I wanted to talk about because I'm not sure in many ways that it is, or at least in one specific way. Well, I talked to I talked to someone today that has a lot of it. Yeah. And he was talking about how Bitcoin's so great because it's so safe and it can't be hacked in his ledger. <laughs> No, and it can't, he can't be hacked because it's in a hard drive. Yeah. And it came up and he he said this, so credit to him. He goes, I guess the only problem is if I drop it and the hard drive breaks, I lose all of it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he's like, if this were a gold bar and I dropped it, I'd just pick it back up. But if I drop this in the toilet, I guess I'm just out 500 grand. If you forget like, your password. Yeah. If you. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> so, yeah. First thought is that that, that is Bitcoin is kind of a zero-sum game because as Bitcoin goes up, other currencies are devalued. So it's sort of like there's no more stuff has been created in the world for people to use, consume, and enjoy. It's just your share of it may grow relative to people who have held dollars or Mm -hmm. yen. Again, we don't need more (laughs) zero-sum games out there. But it seems like there's a lot of value that people have pointed to in the privacy of it and the fact that it can't be tracked. But I also see all of these scams that are coming out with, you know, to- fake Tony Robbins accounts. I love Bitcoin. You send me one, I'll send you back two. Uh, Ledger's been hacked um, several times. Sure, or people just forgetting their passwords. It's, it just seems that uh, a totally untraceable thing has obvious nefarious <laughs> outcomes. And perhaps they're, they're worth getting away from centralized you know currencies that can be they can be mandated by the fed and they can make the value go up or down or just print more and inflate away all the value that you've saved yeah but yeah just uh, i i saw someone wrote an article that's like it's so funny that we think that this completely untraceable thing is going to be just a boon to society yeah pros and cons the other thing is at some point so if you have it on a ledger i guess this is you're fine. But if you have it on, let's say, Coinbase or BlockFi, mm-hmm. and you are someone that the U.S. government wants to freeze funds of, and they find out that you have funds in Bank of America and they freeze them, if they find out that you have funds in BlockFi, they're going to put tremendous pressure on BlockFi to freeze them. And mm-hmm. so I'm not sure that this company that needs the government's permission in order to operate is going to necessarily be on your side when you're a wanted man. Yeah. So I don't know that that... The way people use Bitcoin won't necessarily be that different from the dollar mm-hmm. unless you are carrying it around in a flash drive. Yeah. Part of part of what I'm thinking about, I'm of two minds of this. I've got like the libertarian streak of ultimate freedom, but also the sort of recognition that the course of history is the course of larger governmental bodies taking the ability of individuals to do violence to one another away and holding it in this special place that is sometimes corrupt and often very bureaucratic, but mm-hmm. it's larger and larger governments and people like, oh God, it would be horrible, but it seems like the next stage is a world government such that there are fewer wars because in the same way that there are fewer murders when the government has power to do all of the violence, if there's a world government, you would expect fewer 
fewer wars because sure. all of a sudden each individual doesn't have the right to commit as much violence. They have to go to a higher body because for fear of uh, getting thrown in national jail or whatever that yeah, yeah. that might look like. So I'm of two minds. I'm like, on the one hand, it looks like the historical march is towards greater centralization of power. And that has been largely good, I think. And if people disagree, let me know. And then on the other hand, I've got this, oh, fuck, you know, the government's ruining everything and they screw <laughs> everything up. And I worked as a contractor for the government and I see how inefficient and bureaucratic and yeah. how much money is wasted. God, we used to, I, I've mentioned this, we printed every single PowerPoint out yeah. in color, threw it on desks and nobody cared. And it I was just thoughtless. <laughs> I don't dislike how slow our government is. I guess wanting it fast or slow depends on how dissatisfied you are with mm -hmm. the current state of things. So if you hate the government, and you hate what the U.S. policy is, then you love blue president, blue Senate, blue Congress. Mm -hmm. I was hoping for Biden and then a red Senate mm -hmm. so that I don't think it's such a bad thing that if you want to push through a policy, you have to convince two people on the other side of the <laughs> aisle that it's a good idea because your side's going to back you. Yeah. So let's say there's 48 of them. OK, so now I need to convince two out of 52 that this isn't a bad idea. But that never happens. I mean, there, essentially, there's one or two people, and you probably know their names, it's like Ron Paul, Tulsi Gabbard, who maybe every now and then flip, well, but they, is, they're just voting blocks. And is this what is what become. I'm saying, though. I guess if you don't mind how things are currently run, mm -hmm. then that's what you want. It's a slow thing where a couple of changes get made. And if you hate the system and you want to defund all the police or you want to uh, go completely free market capitalism or whatever, whatever cancel student debt, is, cancel student yeah. debt, um, make concealed carry legal in every state if you want big changes then you want everything to be the same color so that massive stuff can get done but since i don't like either side of the political spectrum that much mm -hmm. i like when they don't match because i don't so I, I guess i'm saying i don't mind slow because i don't have faith in any particular person to do a, a great job so at least they can only do a little bit yeah well this is I, we've talked about it but I, I actually read an article that made me think even more it's it's the conservative view of the world versus the liberal view of the world generally speaking our conservatives like there is value to tradition and move away from it slowly and at your own risk because there mm -hmm. are so many ways to screw things up and liberal is like look at how crappy things are and how much better i can imagine them let's blaze towards this new world as yeah. fast as we can because this one is messed up well I, I always like the jordan peterson framework to that which was i know that you think that things are run stupidly mm -hmm. but this was the best we could do for the first however many years of human history and i know you think you can instantly do better mm -hmm. but until you've ever run a 10-person company i think you may be underestimating how hard it is to run a 300 million person country mm -hmm. and that that stuck with me is pretty persuasive because i i have fallen into that too i could do this better with a magic wand mm -hmm. what you don't realize until you try to manage anything is that that magic wand doesn't exist and you have to get people to actually execute something mm -hmm. and it's always infinitely more complicated than you imagine when you start sure and the liberal response which i'm well aware of is like easy for you to say in a position of total privilege and i'm not referring to your race or your skin color or anything i'm like like you just have a lot of stuff mm -hmm. your your material needs are met and for a large portion of the world that's not the case so i'm i'm sympathetic to both views but i, I read an article that i just thought was especially interesting uh our friend turned me on to alpha star codex which is a psychiatrist who does writing and he's he's very prolific he writes a lot on the internet tim ferris reads them he's he's one of the influencers i think behind a lot of the faces that mm. you see so alpha star codex writes it it's hard to read and then a bunch of people and then paul graham it. and tim ferris <laughs> like, like are inspired by it i yeah. think oftentimes um so one of the things that they were inspired by this is separate is tim ferris's riff on fame and journalists is where i found it and this guy 
was going to be, in his opinion, doxxed by the New York Times because he's a psychiatrist. He didn't want his readers to know who he was. Psychiatrists are, they, apparently, they tend to really want to hide their identity mm -hmm. so that people don't find them or think that they can save them. And this New York Times writer was insisting that in writing this article about him, he was going to share his full first and last name, which he had taken pains to hit, hide. So he shut down his whole website and made a whole thing of it. And then Tim Ferriss wrote about how, like, basically, hey, I love journalists, but Fuck journalists. I've had yeah. this happen to me so many times. And if you're a journalist, I'm not saying you, but the idea that they're not on your side, any piece that you think is a good for you. This just happened to Jordan Peterson. It's not good for you. Oh, what happened to Jordan okay, Peterson? Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm way off. I'll come back to Alpha Star Codex. So there was a, uh, it might have been The Guardian. It was a spectator, something UK based, mm. I believe, where they said, they hey. I really hate him there. Dude, so I, he showed the email. Uh, and I read portions of the article. The email to him is, hey, we want to do this on you. We hope you're recovering or, you know, we're thinking of you. And we'd like to do a piece that, you know, one of the lines was celebrates your life's work, yada, yada. Yeah. He normally doesn't do these, but they wanted to. So they did a three-hour interview with him and his daughter, Michaela. And the interviewer clearly did not like Michaela from the from the writing I, I might have written down some of the words she calls her at one point a uh, like plump-lipped barbie it's not the exact words but it's okay like it's, <laughs> like, it's a pretty it's an attack let's an attack. comment on what she looks like yeah. in that way and it's not you look at her and and it's i see what she's saying is if you look at michaela three years ago and you look at her now she's gotten lip injections she's her hair is dyed she's like started to get into fitness and she she has gone for that Look, mm -hmm. it's just an interesting thing to include in your like 2000 or 3000 piece in your celebration of Jordan. Yes, Peterson in your tour. celebration of his life. And yeah. she often refers to Michaela as, you know, she cuts off the conversation saying, no, 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 that's not true. Treating her sort of as it's sort of a Svengali figure, like lording over him, protecting him, not letting him say or do certain things. Uh, and then it was it was interesting to. That has he come up and said he doesn't? Oh, he like wrote. Yeah, yeah. He wrote. He wrote her uh, an email that was like, "I can't believe that the the first email that you wrote me, which seems so concerned for my well being yeah. and so interested in my life's work, and the article that came out, which was so much about my daughter and how she interrupted the conversation in ways that you found unpleasing, was so dishonest, and you should be ashamed of yourself." Essentially, is what he said. And he published it. Yeah, he, he and then and, and then he published it. that, and then Michaela made a video describing it and release some of the audio that they had recorded. But there's a couple lessons which she shares is, one, if you don't own the medium, you don't own the content or the message mm -hmm. at all. And there is absolutely zero expectation that what somebody says, if it's not in a contract that you can sue them for, yep. is going to be what happens. Yeah, yeah, We've experienced this plenty of times where people write you the terms that they want to share for sponsorship money. We'll do, you know, 80-20 you, and then you actually get the contract and it's 70-30. And yeah. they hope you don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's out there. The no, other no, thing- The big one is they'll tell you, you're going to get the money and then you give it to me and then you read the yeah. contract and they get the money and then- by their grace, you get paid at all. Yeah. That's a big switch for you they like to pull. Um, the other thing is you got to know this particular, and he, they even had said that they said that this journalist was not the hit piece journalist. They like, they reached out and they did yeah. a couple feelers. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't horrible. It was just, there were lines like the, the one that I mentioned, the Barbie thing, the, yeah. does this need to be in a celebration of his life's work? Yeah, it yeah. feels like a bait and switch. Uh, and the other thing is you absolutely need your own recording. It's the second time that he's <laughs> he's done this. Yeah. And he's I, I wish she, they, she says, Michaela, that 
she had had video to make it more compelling because yep. what she has is three hours of audio on a black screen, which people don't want to watch as much. No, Jim Jeffries did this. Jim Jeffries had a guy come oh, onto his God. show and the guy was something about Israel and Palestine. And this was a long time ago, so I don't remember the details, but basically I remember it. Yep. The guy said, listen, I'll come on, but you can't put me next to these type of people because I know you like to do mashups. You're going to mm-hmm. take what I say, which is pro-Israel. You're going to put me next to a bunch of people who are anti-Palestine and make mm-hmm. me look worse. And then the other thing that Jim Jeffries did is he would say outlandish stuff because he knows he's the editor. So it's like if I edited our podcast, he would go on and say, make jokes about Muhammad that were quite racy and negative. Yeah. Drew a a picture of him, I think, at one point. Yeah. To try to set the tone of, listen, this is how we're going to do it. It's going to be raunchy. We're all on the same side. Then anything you say, which is less bad than what Jim Jeffries says, makes it into the cut. Yeah. And anything Jim Jeffries says makes it out of the cut. So now you look like you're the one <clears throat> who's out of nowhere making these crazy I- I- offensive comments, basically. And he did it to this guy and this guy suspected it. So he recorded the entire yeah, put thing. his phone down on the table. And so you can sort of see the angle of them like mm-hmm. talking, but you get the full audio. And it was a brilliant move because I used to like Jim Jeffries. I thought his stand up was good. I you know, was generally mm-hmm. positive of him. And I saw this and was like, I will never watch anything yeah, he yeah. does again because I don't want to support this kind of stuff. So, yeah, having your own recording is huge. I think that that is not, luckily no one's contacting us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had that one New York Times thing. <laughs> and and that was... Um, it was yeah. about charisma. It wasn't yeah. about us. So so he has said, yeah, I'm only going to do it in writing if I do it. And even then, like, I want the hard copy of the original. But Tim Ferriss wrote an article citing the Slate Star Codex, which reminded me of Jordan Peterson. So one thing that that, that had just reminded me of is not that journalists are bad, but there is an incentive structure in every single profession. Mm-hmm. And in journalism, it is towards uh, selling the article, which means that there's pieces of it that you want to be sensational. So at, mon- at one moment, they say in there that he's schizophrenic. And they were very clear that he's not. He's got akesthesia, which is something different than that. And they, they feel uh, very differently about it. The woman speculates that it could be because of toxic masculinity, which was not how they feel. I, I read, okay, so we eventually will get this late star codex. At one point, she talks about Jordan Peterson. And I think that- She thinks toxic man- masculinity caused schizophrenia? I land somewhere in the middle on this. So she's talking about Jordan Peterson's problems, which are like, he's he's been depressed for a lot of his life. He went on this medication to help it and it made his skin crawl. Uh, he was he was having a ton of problems. Mm-hmm. And at one point she speculates that toxic masculinity in her, and the idea that- He'd been a hard, rugged Canadian guy from the freezing cold weather who uh, might not have a relationship with his feelings that is free-flowing and easy, even though he does often cry, might have contributed to some of the physical ailments that he has. And Michaela is insistent that this is a chemical imbalance that is unrelated to his emotional behavior. And I land somewhere in the middle. But her definition of toxic masculinity is repressed emotion. It, it, part of it because well, be. everyone has a different definition for this that's why I, yes I asked. and so i was i was reading the article and i was like okay I, so if not, i read it charitably i can understand the point that she's making and actually would not 100 percent agree with michaela that this is simply a chemical reaction unavoidable that i i tend to be of the mind that the way that you behave influences the chemicals it, it the way that you're yeah, two-way street let's call it yeah two-way street exactly yeah so that it is neither uh, it's, it's no one's fault, but it is neither wholly attributable to medication, nor is it wholly attributable to yeah. Some people's brains the way that are his, wired differently, exactly. And at the same time, 
sometimes your behavior can cause or worsen a depression. Yes. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, if I, I read this charitably, toxic I, masculinity. She did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I land. So it, it has a tenor to it. The whole thing, if I had to say my opinion, is like the tone is just totally not what you pretended it would be. And mm-hmm. I think that that much is indefensible. Um, so in any event, getting back to the Slate Star thing. Are we okay with the recording? I was just making sure I, I unplugged a mic at one point to oh. record a, bro- <laughs> uh, a breakdown. So I was just making sure it was plugged back oh, into shit. the right thing. Um, so Slate Star Codex, we we're talking about conservatism versus liberalism. Mm. And he did a book review of a guy uh, who talked about the impossibility of humans to survive in the wild, which is just take, he gave a couple of examples. He said, you know, put someone in the Amazon. I don't care if it's your best trained marine, whatever, you, they could know about botany. They're dead in 72 hours. Right. And this, Okay, the first thing is you can imagine a human by themselves without a bunch of tools, which right. is just like, okay, you're just done. <laughs> can make tools? Okay, so where are you, what are you going to make? You're going to go break a stick off. You're going to mm. get a rock. You're going to sharpen it. Okay, what plants can you eat? What animals do you need to watch out for? What sounds indicate that a predator is coming? You're telling me the Navy SEALs don't know all this? No. <laughs> so a lot of it is a lot of the plants that are edible are not like picket edible. They need to be prepared right. in incredibly specific ways that traditions all around the world that have over 100,000 years of human history figured out. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that if you go to some of these tribes and you ask them, why do you make the tapioca that way? Why do you spend three days soaking it in water? They just say, this is how we do it. They have no idea that it contains cyanide and in low doses that cyanide will kill you over the course of 60 years, but it won't kill you the day after and it might not even make you sick. They have just over the course of evolution and cultural evolution learned to do things and not question them. Mm. So the point that he makes is that questioning authority, even when you go, well, why do we spend, I could eat this today, like, and it won't hurt my stomach. I'll be totally fine. Uh, There's an evolved preference in us to not question authority because it actually is smarter than reason in many cases. He gives another example of people up, I think it's in Canada, who hunt caribou. And the way that the caribou work is they track where you're tracking them. So if you get them by the watering hole, they're not going back to the watering hole. Hmm. So the best hunting strategy is randomness. But people are not good at being random. We have preferences. We like going to the watering hole. That track, it, it's too its too difficult to get up this way. So when you tell people to go places randomly or pick randomly, they pick the same four places over and over again. So the way that they've gotten around this is they believe that when you kill a caribou, you take like its shoulder bone, you, cr- you roast it over the fire and it cracks. And that gives you a map of where to go on the next hunt. Mm. Now, if you're a smart guy, you go, this doesn't make any sense. We don't need to do this. We don't need to go where the crack goes. Like, we'll just, I'll just randomize it. I'll save us some time. You, you die <laughs> because, right. because you can't be random. Right. So it, it pointed out the uh, limits of reason and like the only the extreme edge cases where reason actually beats out tradition uh, because tradition is brilliant based on a hundred thousand years of cultural evolution mm-hmm. that is like all of these amazingly brilliant things baked into it to survive in the world that we live in. And now we have people like me and a bunch of people that think that they know how to do everything better. Well, it does sound like there's two things, though. There's survival and ethics. And it sounds like tradition is great for survival, but not very good for ethics. And so you want to use reason for a culture's morality, basically, Mm -hmm. and maybe tradition for its survival. Well, of course, those things mix together. 
So um, ethics might say, for instance, never harm anyone. And reason says the other tribe is hellspawn. They come from the devil, yada, yada. And all of a sudden ethics and survival overlap because the, the ethical, reasonable people get outcompeted and die mm-hmm. in that world. So it's just- well, I'm just thinking tradition's not always good. Oh, no, There's clearly. traditions all the time. 100%. Yeah, yeah, 100%. The point of this was, I think that conservatism is often uh, treated as dumb and naive. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it is on the individual level dumb. It is a rote acceptance of what has come before. But there is a lineage of intelligence that leads to that unquestioning behavior. So mm-hmm. I suppose it's like question deeply and really try to understand uh traditions before overturning them yeah. is is perhaps the way to do it but it was just an interesting uh to bring that th- to see how intelligent some of some of the ways that we do things are and also how impossible it is to survive in the world <laughs> like, compared to what we live in today where sure. it seems so freaking easy yeah yeah anyway i read that i liked it i thought it was cool good to know alpha star codex yeah it's got a lot of cool stuff it's a ridiculous name Yes. <laughs> I don't know what it means. Um, do you have any other stuff? I have, I have plenty here. But yeah, I have a lot. All, Jeff Bezos is stepping down. Saw that. Yeah. Stepping down to do charity work. I thought the, the interesting thing to me is that people are in such disbelief about it. You know, people are like, oh, yeah, for charity, quote unquote, like this guy cares. They just think he's so evil. And it's interesting to me because Bill Gates was the richest man in the world at one point and everybody hated him and he had a monopoly lawsuit and then he spent decades basically trying to cure disease and save lives and so i just see this bezos hate and i go yeah this guy says it's charity i have no reason to doubt that he's not going to go spend the next 30 years trying to do amazing charitable work but he just has such a terrible reputation right now for some reason that a lot of what i've seen is people being skeptical that that's why he's stepping down Mm. yeah i mean i don't know the guy i have no idea what what motivates him if it's money at this point it's just no that's like it just parallels to me it just parallels bill gates which is you've absolutely crushed the money game mm-hmm. it's probably boring at this point oh you got passed by elon musk yeah. whatever <laughs> you're the second richest person <laughs> on the planet and i imagine at some point just for your own selfishness mm-hmm. there becomes a desire to do something that's more fulfilling than continuing to be top five richest people and so yeah it makes total sense to me that charity would become a calling yeah i mean i've I, i've seen it in my own life which i think is a natural flow of things, which is you like take the best care of yourself mm-hmm. than you can. And then that doesn't really satisfy and becomes kind of boring. And you go, oh, crap, what am I going to do with the rest of my time? And you look for something more meaningful beyond that. So I don't know why he's doing it, but. No, the thing is, it was just interesting to me that there was immediate disbelief that that could possibly be his reason. Yeah. Let's talk. I'm bouncing back now to um, because you had reminded me of this. I don't know. Maybe because you said Jeff Bezos made me think of Mark Cuban who uh, this whole Wall Street bets. Oh, I got a game stock thing too. Okay. Go ahead. No, no, go first. So there's a couple things. God, everything that I'm thinking is close to the other things that I'm thinking, but none of them segue nicely. So (laughs) it's fine, dude. Let it rip. Uh, This game stock thing, right? Skyrockets, comes down. uh, There's all this worry and uh, about whether it was corruption on the part of Robin Hood. It actually seems to be unclear at this point exactly mm-hmm. why Robinhood stopped the buying of GameStop if it was uh, an imposement of laws by the SEC on them or if it was some sort of collusion. Unclear. In any event, there were all of these heroes that emerged early on in the story. Mm-hmm. 
the Dave Portnoy's, the Mark Cubans who stood up and we, we stand with you. We stand with you. Uh, Dave Portnoy bought in and, mm-hmm. and stood there for a day <laughs> with them. And what was interesting about all of it is one, Dave Portnoy got a, a ton of time on TV, just, you know, took a slam dunk on the easiest people to slam dunk in the world, which is hedge fund traders who are probably like the most hateable word in america the most hateable three yeah. words are like hedge fund traders no i did a video on GameStop comes out this monday shameless plug and uh one of the interesting psychologies of it is hedge funds make an amazing enemy because mm-hmm. they are amorphous you don't really know anyone that works there public perception is that they're evil and mm-hmm. they use their powers for evil they actually behave basically like every other person in the world in terms of just trying to maximize their own wealth following the rules but bending them where they can mm-hmm. but everyone hates them for it even yeah. though everybody basically acts exactly like them. So yes. they're a very, very good public enemy. So yeah, so so Portnoy gets his dunks in and everybody loves Portnoy. Mark Cuban says, if I had Game Stonk, I would totally hold, I mm-hmm. called it Stonk, totally unironically. Yeah. And then and then Dave Portnoy sells and then makes the announcement, which which good for him. He made the announcement that he sold, but okay, so much for holding the line, which well, was eight hours before. Yeah, I don't mind what Dave did though, actually. I think you and I disagree here. I don't know if you want to chat about it, but... Go for it. He bought in because he thought it no one actually thought GameStop was worth anything more than 40 or 50 bucks from an intrinsic value cash flow basis. They were all trying to play the short squeeze. This guy, uh, deep fucking value who bought in, he bought in at $4. That's when he thought it was a, a value play. So Fortnite buys in. He's, he's not saying he's buying in because he thinks it's an amazing company. He just wants to ride the rocket ship. The rocket ship crashes. He sells and then he announces it. So to me, I feel like he would have been a scumbag if he didn't announce it and kept posting diamond hands. Mm-hmm. But instead, he basically just said, I changed my mind and sold and I'm letting you guys know. So just seems like a guy that was trying to make a quick buck. It didn't work out. Yeah. Well, here's what I'm saying. And again, I don't blame him, but this was a zero sum game from the beginning. And mm-hmm. whether it was probably hedge funds making money on the way up and the way down compared to retail yes. generally. That's my other hypothesis. <laughs> I don't know. But like, I think, yeah, I think some hedge funds lost a lot of money. But some hedge funds made a lot of money. So it's a zero sum game. He's like, oh, I lost 700,000. But it's you didn't lose as much as the sucker who believed you with the diamond hands who held. And then you made your sale. And so he was, oh, well, I made 700. How am I the man? It's well, somebody else. Somebody's holding the bag, Dave. Somebody's always holding yeah, the bag. What if you he held part it, of the bag. What if he tweeted it the second he sold it? Though? Sure, that's that's better. I agree. But he what I'm saying, and, I'm, and I, I did this a little bit. He was so happy to stand in front of of the army when they were winning. Yeah. And and that's what I uh, am critical of. It's well, that's not, why I respect that he said he sold. It yes. would have been so easy for him to just not say anything about GameStop. Sure. And I think that and I, I give him credit said, for that. Hey, I guys, give him credit for I that. literally know that I posted Diamond Hands two days ago. <laughs> I know that yesterday I posted to say hold. Yeah. And I sold today and I'm being transparent. I actually have a lot of respect for that because I think that on the subreddit Wall Street Bets, what happened was a lot of people wrote to hold sold <laughs> and didn't say shit and then kept upvoting other people saying to hold and so they're quietly they're quietly participating in the appearance that we're all holding the line mm-hmm. while they've sold behind your back and so that i think actually happened a lot and at least dave was like yes i'm out credit <laughs> like hypocrisy is absolutely above um deception you know like so and and the quick reversal which is I don't blame him for the tweet and the sale. What I'm saying is you shouldn't have been so eager to go stand in front of something and play leader Mm. uh, and get a ton of personal clout 
which maybe backfired, but like you got millions of views and this, this brought attention to you and your organization. So like you have a way to win in this game, even if it goes down, you're, you're, you're hedged, you're a hedge fund. Well, what, you're, what you're talking about is actually the most interesting thing to me, which is Dave Portnoy caught a lot of public flack mm-hmm. because he said, hold the line and then sold. But Elon Musk tweeted GameStonk, but didn't buy any. Yeah. And Mark Cuban did an AMA and I read it where he said, if the reason you bought in hasn't changed, then you should not sell no matter what's going on. But if your investment thesis has changed, then you should, which is a great advice. But people interpreted that as we should hold. And meanwhile, he didn't say we should hold. He didn't ever buy GameStop. So what he's saying is, I don't think this is a good investment. But if you think it's a good investment, then you should hold. Mm -hmm. And people worshipped him for it. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he bought in a bunch of GameStop that I don't know about. But I do think it's interesting that Portnoy is getting publicly flamed for actually making the bet. And then as soon as he changed the bet, publicly saying it. But Mark Cuban is being lauded because he said, hey, if you guys thought GameStop was a good company and that's why you bought, then you should hold because it's still a good company. But meanwhile, no one actually bought because it was a good company. They bought hoping for a short squeeze. Yes. So, so I don't, I, you're right. I guess I don't, I actually don't know the specifics of, of what Cuban said. And so perhaps he didn't say anything that was. Um, no, it's just, he, he said something totally reasonable. Yeah. But I just think it's funny that from the layman's perspective, it appears that Mark Cuban is Jesus and <laughs> Dave Portnoy is the devil. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because I think their public persona shapes that much more than their behavior during the frenzy. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I had heard, and it was probably, now that you're saying it, it was probably a misquote that is really subtle but changes the context, which was that Mark Cuban had said, uh, if I had GameStop, I would hold, which is no, probably this is, no, this not was, what he said. This was what was amazing. So I got deep in this for the video. People thought that that's what he said, and then they posted in quotes, Mark Cuban said, if you have GameStop, hold. And it gets 10,000 upvotes. I thought it, well, I even thought it was if I had. I was like, what do you mean? If he had it, if he if he would hold, he would buy it because no, that means he, that what he believes that it's going to go up. This is what I was saying. So he, he didn't even say that is what. Look at, if you want to know how sure. people are actually behaving, look at their actions. Yeah. And Mark Cuban, to my understanding, which I could be wrong, did not buy a large chunk of GameStop. But what he said was, here's the investing rule. When you buy something, you don't, you don't sell it when the price moves unless your thesis has changed. Yeah. Well, the guy that started GameStop, deep fucking value, his thesis was at $5, this is undervalued. So at 400, I don't think that's his thesis anymore. It's changed and he should sell. And other people, they bought in for the short squeeze. So it just was interesting to to watch people completely misquote him and then call him a hero while he didn't say to hold and also didn't invest himself. Yeah. I do think, and this is this is a good rule, then this is no criticism of Mark Cuban or, or even Tony Robbins, who I'm going to talk about. But to your point, look at what people do, not what they tell you to do. Mm-hmm. So like Tony Robbins has a book, and I love Tony Robbins, but to me, it's his worst book, Money, Master the Game. Mm-hmm. It's 700 pages of compound interest and all of these ways that Tony didn't make his money. And mm-hmm. I've mentioned this before. Tony started 12 businesses and was a multimillionaire by the time he was 30. And then he compounded interest in some. Mark Cuban didn't buy game stock. <laughs> no. like, uh, Elon Musk bought, I know. bought $1.5 billion of Bitcoin from Tesla. So sometimes what people say and what they do is an alignment, but you, should, you need to check. Yeah. Uh, no, the most interesting one to me was Bill Ackman during COVID, I think it was March, February, March, 2020, comes on to CNBC and he says, hell on earth is coming. Hotels could go to zero. 
we're going to buy Hilton because we think it's a good company. But this could be a bloodbath. Every hotel on the planet could go bankrupt. And Hilton took a dive because he and he said a lot more. He talked for 30 plus minutes. But he said a lot about how the hotel industry was going to get smashed and this and that. But I think for legal reasons, he had to sneak in there. But we're still bullish. Disclosure. Disclosure. We're still bullish on Hilton. And basically, he just bought at the bottom that he created and made a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And everybody's hating him on it. So I went back to watch the interview because I thought that what he had done was say one thing and done another. What he did was say what he was going to do. He actually said his action, I think, because legally he had to. But he surrounded it by language Mm -hmm. that basically said all hotels are completely effed. Yeah. But I'm buying Hilton. Yeah. And so... The only thing, basically what that should sound like if you're trying to invest like Bill Ackman is just a bunch of white noise followed by I'm buying Hilton. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the interesting thing is people took him at his word that hell was coming. Yeah, the idea of white noise is is an interesting one. We, we were talking earlier about uh, things that people say in email chains and on the phone as you're discussing contracts. Mm-hmm. It's all white noise. Yep. And yeah, things that people say about what they're going to spend money on or what people would do it's you know some guy comes up to me at the bar looks at me the wrong way man i'm gonna i'm gonna crack his head i'm like <laughs> there's just a lot of white noise yeah. in the world there's a lot of posturing even there's in a, relationships yeah isn't there there's tons of examples i feel like in relationships where people Go say what they would do well, I, I can't think of anything now but i just think i'm just thinking how do you tie this back to people's lives if they don't care about investing but i feel like you see it in relationship conversations as well i would oh if it were me i would totally do this or oh i would never do this but what is there behavior? Does the behavior yeah, match yeah. that? I think it's very common in romantic relationships for someone's behavior to be pretty unimpressive, but they'll promise you the world mm-hmm. and then people get confused. And I've been guilty of this and they take them at their word. Like, oh my God, this person's such a good... They're planning on... This person's <laughs> such a good boyfriend or such a good girlfriend. Or they're so caring and they're so like... They say they love me so much. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, have they done anything thoughtful for you in the last six months? Have they ever gone over the top, spent a lot of time, energy, effort or money to do something... No, they're just totally mediocre boyfriend or girlfriend. They just mm-hmm. come over, they hang out. It's that that's fine. But it is that's fascinating. That's me, dude. Don't, don't. No, <laughs> dude, it's totally fine. It's just funny how quickly we are to hear them espouse yeah. how much they would do for us and how much they love us and take that as fact instead of hearing that as white noise and looking at the behavior and going, This is person I like this person. I like to hang out with this person. They're mm-hmm. not doing anything particularly crazy in the realm of yeah. being a good boyfriend or girlfriend. But that's okay. But that's not what we do. We do what we do is take them at their word, and then we think and believe that they're amazing, mm-hmm. and then that leads us to stay in the relationship as their behavior gets even worse. Let's say deteriorates. Yeah, and and from the other side, if if you're because we all are sometimes being the white noise, making the promises, saying that you're going to do things. This is the same point that we make about honesty. Is it's uh it's not as beneficial to be the white noise as you might think it is to Mm-mm. be the Bill Ackman's. There's there's a cost that comes with in a relationship saying all of the wonderful things you're going to do, convincing them to stay. And now you're dating someone who doesn't want to be with the you that you are. Yeah. They are waiting on the promised land you to eventually show up. And it's, it's just not worth it. And that's why I, when relationships, I talk about leading with your most average foot mm-hmm. forward. Because like, <laughs> this is what you can count on reliably. Yeah, yeah. This is like, I'm not going to dress up for our first date because I'm never going to dress up for any subsequent dates. And it's going to be at like a cool, comfortable place nearby because I am not leaving 15 minutes of my, of my house yeah. with rare exception. Uh, and I think I think that's the right strategy to not well, I agree. I mean, that's my strategy. It's yeah. Like, if we're going to go to di- let's say it's our first dinner date. We're one month in. We've hooked up a couple of times. This is like 
the impress me period. I'm going to wherever I think we're going to go if we're together for three years. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to take you to Nobu (laughs) so that you think I'm the kind of guy that's going to take you to Nobu all the time just so I can disappoint you by taking you to the place down the street. Let's just start down the street. And if that's cool, makes you happy, cool, because that's what I can do. This is what I can reliably deliver. Yeah, that's to you. What, this is what you can count on. You know, every couple, however long, we'll go to this place down yeah. the street. Did you watch really the Jim Cramer thing at all? That could the mean a lot. Of the two thousand six, where he was on some web show talking about working at a hedge fund and how he would oh, engage no, I, in Ackman like behavior. I have seen glimpses of, it, but yeah. I never sat down and watched the whole thing. All right, we don't need to watch, talk about it all. It was. It was interesting that he has sort of a mentality that that I do still, and he just illustrated how dumb it is because he says at one point, or at least illustrates with his behavior, that he's not on television. He's on like a web show so he can let it the guard down and sort of be more candid about uh, manipulating stocks and what you say to drive the price mm-hmm. down and buy at the bottom. Stuff that would well, not be well received. Yeah, he's pretty aggressive in that. He's yeah. straight up says that he can manipulate the stock price if, and he could do it legally and he could do it legally yeah um and i think about that there's times where we're doing questions and somebody somebody asks a question like ah, it's patreon fuck it <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's just, i told you that's not a good policy <laughs> yeah well i mean i know that that's not a good policy but it was just funny to watch a mirror of myself yeah, go yeah. uh screw it this is a web thing uh and and i'm just gonna let it rip but also the thought with that is uh I was watching. I was like, man, yeah, you don't want to have to play a character. And I, there's there's degrees to which we do. And I don't swear as much on this podcast as I do. And well, he's literally a ca- basically a TV. Yeah, he's character. just he's just a character. He does, he, I don't think he plays himself. I don't yeah. think at dinner he's that in, <laughs> over the top. I yeah. could be wrong. Well, I guess I was thinking about myself, and I was like, yeah, I I don't I play part of myself when I'm on air. Yeah, I think I play like the thinker, the calm guy. But just so you all know, like I all I do are give hot takes. <laughs> during my day yeah i don't read the article i go off the headline i s- complain about people that i don't understand decide it's podcast time exactly and then i go oh crap i was wrong about yeah that i can't speak i have to like totally limit the range of things to which i pretend to have knowledge yeah but in my life i'm constantly i think that's okay though i actually think the threshold for i'm gonna say this to my one friend mm-hmm. should be lower than the threshold for i'm gonna say this and maybe 50,000 people will see it. Yes, yes. And I think this is one of the things that... I do. For instance, I do think it's good that we try not to hot take. I think we have a bit of a responsibility to come out and say, okay, I did read the full Mark Cuban AMA. Mm -hmm. Instead of just coming here and saying, ah, I had a thought about Mark Cuban. I'm going to blast him for no reason because I'm wrong. Sure. And if I was on Joe Rogan, I would be even more buttoned up in my... Yeah, because you're going to get to a thousand times the amount of people. Exactly. So I think that the which is true that we're saying is communication isn't about what's said. It's a it's a it's an interactive thing that it requires an a known quantity of audience and, oh, yeah. and, and understanding of that. I think that's good, though. I, I'm sure Obama doesn't speak like he does in his speeches all the time. Of but course it's not. nice that his speeches are eloquent and well prepared. And then he goes on the basketball court and maybe just talks talk shit. shit. Yeah. yeah, I think but, that's, that's a decent way to go about things. Well, what we haven't as a society grasped yet because so few of us have been in this position where we've been able to deeply think about like why did i say that on camera one way and a different way off camera oh it must be because i'm fake it's like no it's because you recognize that communication is about the audience as much as it's about what you're saying the problem is that when you can transport 
things out of, okay, I said this to my four friends and now this is being broadcast to mm-hmm. the entire world, which has a totally different understanding. And I would have purposely spoken different and it wouldn't necessarily have been fake to do that. Well, like, it's not that I'm hiding this. It's that it's necessary and we all speak to children one way, groups of people one way, our best friend or our confidant another way. And that doesn't necessarily require uh, any sort of, I don't, deception yeah. perhaps is the word. I just had two thoughts on this. One, I think that's why Twitch streamers get in trouble more than podcasters. Yeah. It's pretty unnatural to sit down with a microphone and talk the way we do. So yeah. it puts you in a different state. Yeah. But when you're playing Twitch, when you're playing a video game, live streaming it, you just go into your default. Yeah. Eventually. Unfil- unfiltered You're mode. there for t- 10 hours a day. Eventually you will. You know, it's weird. Twitch streamers get in trouble, but athletes don't. And we talked about this with Jordan Peterson. It's who controls the editing. Mm-hmm. They wear mics. They have hot mics, but you never hear them go off. And mm-hmm. I'm sure they say some crazy shit. The athletes they're... wear hot mics? Yeah. Sometimes. During the game? Yeah. They get mic'd up. You're in, kidding. In football and in basketball. But who's controlling the editing? Someone that wants them to appear to be very palatable, not racist, That's not, gonna last. not vulgar. That's not going to last. Well, it's been, I mean, they've been doing hot mics for 20 years, I think. So I forget where I read this, but it was just an interesting point that there was a time in Hollywood where the studio felt that they had a vested interest in protecting their stars mm-hmm. from salacious scandals. And then eventually they just bought the tabloids <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and made money on both sides of it. Studios, made money on the movie and then made money on the gossip. Studios don't own particular... Uh, actors for their career, though. Not mm. that athletes are owned, but if you're the Lakers, you don't just have LeBron for this movie. You have LeBron for until he leaves, until his contract is out. Mm. So it's kind of like if you had, you're, you're at Harry Potter 1 and you find out that Emma Watson has done something. You know what I mean? Is that her mm. name? Emma Watson, yeah. You have a vested interest in for 15 years making sure that she does not become a scandal yeah so i think it's a little bit different with sports in that regard but because oh, i was just thinking they they compared to twitch streamers they must say the most awful shit to each other yeah just, undoubtedly undoubt this is what what athletes do if it's anything like my experience in sports <laughs> it's the the worst it's more worse than anything being said on yeah. podcasts but it never leaks even when there's a mic you just hear the wholesome stuff so it's an interesting question as to why that is, because I think that your hypothesis of it's just as bad, if not worse, than whatever is said on podcasts. Athletes have this, uh, we've, we've mentioned this, have been weirdly exempted from the Me Too movement. In There's a handful of cases, but they quickly disappear. And not that they oughtn't disappear. Maybe the Cristiano Ronaldo had no merit and the Conor McGregor one had no merit. No, no, but you're just saying... Uh, Comedians if, get destroyed. If someone, if someone <laughs> tweeted... Some of the or message some of the things that have leaked that J.R. Smith, <laughs> that Smith had says. messaged about, you know, you want you're trying to get the pipe. Yeah. You could imagine it being received worse if it weren't J.R. Smith. That's Crystalia. That's 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 the you know, that's the allegation against him. Uh, it is interesting that that industry has been re- insulated from from that. Yeah. And, and there can, wanna, if people want an even spicier one, I mean, there's athletes who have beaten just on camera beaten their significant others and they still get to go back and be pro athletes at some point Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, they get they get more of a pass interesting um so here's another random thought we talked about i got a game stock thing i think you'll think it's interesting so congress is considering and the rest of this is in quotes a small tax 0.1 percent on each stock bond or derivative trade this would reduce high frequency trading a practice which drains profits from regular people and benefits only the very rich I think it's an interesting idea because apparently it would add a trillion dollars in tax revenue if it went through. 
And I don't think any regular people would be hurt if they took 0.1% of everything. Every time you bought or sold a stock, they took one one thousandth of the value as a tax. Would any normal people get hurt by that? Because the way hedge funds work, I don't know. The way hedge funds work is that they have some of them, not all of them. Some are just doing very Warren Buffett style one investment every three months. But some of them have algorithms that trade momentum based based on they're they're called high frequency trading. They're just nickel and diming the market constantly by having they're smarter and faster than the human brain could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And so this would affect them so much more than someone who buys a stock once a month for a thousand dollars and would have to pay one dollar in tax. I just thought it was interesting because mm -hmm. normally you don't see particularly clever solutions coming from Congress. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty good one. Maybe. Yeah, I, I have no way of knowing what sort of taxes and rules around derivatives trading are, are good or bad or otherwise. I, I don't know. Yeah, just gonna, I couldn't imagine. I struggle to imagine the regular person who's going to get hurt if they have to pay 0.1 cents for every dollar of stock that they buy. Hmm. But I find it interesting that it would make a trillion dollars for the government if all the professional investors didn't change their behavior and they might in order to not pay the tax. But then that actually gives retail investors a better chance to make money because they're not competing against high frequency. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And see AI. Mm -hmm. I just thought, just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I've lost everyone that didn't go to high <laughs> <work in laughs> frequency AI. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's um, good for the little man. Great. I this is this is a tangent. This was from a week and a half ago, so I kind of forget the story because we hadn't we had cosmic skeptical last time. So some of these these are old <laughs> old takes. But I was Did you hear Joe Biden won the presidency? <laughs> Apparently I was watching Dark Horse podcast. And it says here <laughs> that uh, there was some sort of an executive order that I don't entirely recall, but they were commenting that it included uh, some sort of provisions for transgender people that didn't allow for the protection of women as a class because it would allow for transgender males to females to be in places like athletics, jails, hmm. um, places where you're... Uh, at least culturally, we go, no, 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 women need to be separate and protected mm -hmm. from men. But I, th I was going through that. I was, why don't I know? The, just think about this audience. Like, why isn't there a male league for terrible athletes? And not saying that women are terrible athletes, but like I've talked about this. I, I feel like I if I were in jail 
would just be destroyed <laughs> by anyone there. I'm not tough. I'm not strong. Uh, you say why do they keep women out of jail but not small men? So they keep women out of jail because the risk of rape is very high. And mm-hmm. I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. A ton of sense. But should we have a jail? Like if you get raped twice or once in jail, should you get as to go as a guy? Like, yeah. do you, why don't you belong to a protected class? Like, let's say twice. If you are raped twice in jail saying, as a man. Prisons for guys that are over 180, guys that are under 180. Well, let's just say if you get, even if it, like, if you get raped twice, you to me ought to be in a protected class because the risk of you being raped is really high, mm. like it is for women. And I think it's good that we separate them. That makes a ton of sense to me because it, reduces violence but if you're if you're the victim like andy dufresne in shawshank redemption mm-hmm. of repeated assaults or repeated things does he get raped in that movie yeah man does he get raped? <laughs> yes shawshank redemption yeah dog oh, i don't remember that yes i only uh, remember from uh american history x uh yes he does it's, it's the that's like the tough part of the movie huh. um block that part out <laughs> yeah but that that our idea of who deserves protection, and I, I think this is one of the most interesting points that is brought up by the uh, recent questioning of what is what defines a man and a woman, is that uh, we ought to have more subgroups that are protected, and I don't think it necessarily needs to be based on genitalia or gender, mm-hmm. but on who individually requires a higher degree of protection and well, I, from a cost perspective you wouldn't even need new jails necessarily you could just have segments of the prison just be like this is the super violent super mm-hmm. jacked part of the prison <laughs> this is the we've been sexually assaulted several times part of the prison yeah. and so we're put here for protection mm-hmm. you know what i mean you could like because i know the initial the immediate thing i have is well you can't you can't just have a billion prisons you know yeah. what i mean you, yeah of course you have spatial constraints and cost constraints, well and then but, and then this maybe you need to throw the prison thing out but it, it did uh well, i'm saying maybe you just bought you just Okay, we've got four quarters of a prison and we put different people into different parts. Yeah, I guess the point that we're making is uh, like women as a group, no question, are more likely to be, uh, I think, victims of sexual violence than men. But they're not more likely to be assaulted. Men are more likely to be assaulted Uh, so that we just have these instinctive uh, groups, women in this case, that we think deserve protection. But Mm -hmm. I don't think we're looking at individuals or the data as much, which is to say. Maybe we need subsets of prisons. Maybe we need these other things, but yeah. we're not actually reducing harm. And I and I think it's a good instinct to go, how do we need to separate people in order to yeah. keep people safe? But the simple line of like women over here, men over yeah. here Makes is, sense. yeah, it's, it's just not clearly not enough uh, because I think there's yeah, still have a lot. Part, have a little section off for the guys that are soft. Uh, yeah. like, <laughs> and that's where I'd be. By the way. That's no knock. Just the guys are like, let's Sorry, dude, you're gonna have to lose some weight, man. You're, <laughs> you're too tall. <laughs> you're going in with the tough guys. You need you need to swing to the other side. <laughs> you got to start exercising. Steroid time. <laughs> um, you want to talk student loan forgiveness? Yeah, sure. We mentioned this before, but it has come up. Well, it's being put. Again. So it's, there's pressure being put on Joe Biden now to sign an executive order for student loan forgiveness. He, at last time I checked, said, can you guys just put this through Congress? It's $650 billion you're talking about, maybe vote on it. But he's getting pressure, which I mean, this is the part I think is a little wonky, to just do it as an executive order. And so, yeah, it's it would be $650 billion and it would go towards forgiving $50,000 of student loans for anyone that has student loans. I think it's important, and we discussed this, to say uh, reassigning and not forgiving. The loan doesn't disappear. It is 
handled and paid for in the inflation that is now burdened by everybody. And that is people who don't have student loans, which includes some extremely wealthy people and some people who, in order to avoid student loans, mm -hmm. uh, became auto mechanics and well, yeah, this tradesmen is, and other things of that nature. So it's not, you can't question. cancel debt. You can only have it be uh, burdened by a wider or different group of people. So yeah, this is my question for people who like this program, which I'm surprised there's so many, is is this the best use of $650 billion if the goal is to have the US government spend $650 billion to help the help, people, to to help. Keep up the yeah. people of the US yeah. specifically is, is who they're trying to help. And the argument I've heard is, well, you, it's it's been shown that most people with student loans are of a certain age group and people in that age group, when they get more money, it actually helps the economy and a much more than trickle down economics. Mm -hmm. And I go, okay, well, why don't we just give it to the people in that age group? Why don't we just decide the age group and then give everyone 28 grand instead because of just the people with student loans? Who's being left out of that is, let's say, a person who just took a job to avoid the student loan debt, who now you know has worked at McDonald's and has worked their way up to manager. Well, sorry, you're saying who's excluded from the student loan? They're excluded that would be from included the, in mine. They would be included in yeah. yours. And this could be, and I think those there's lots of these people. Uh, well, and again, if, I don't I don't think I should get the money, but it also de-incentivizes. I had a choice to pay my loan back over uh, 10, 20, 30 year mm -hmm. span. And even when I had uh, no money and I, I chose 10 <laughs> and I ate beans and what else did I have? I would get an weight avocado. Gain weight gainer powder. Yeah, from Brazil. Beans, really weight gainer powder, and avocados. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, I read that avocados were good for me. Um, and they had a lot of calories. Well, no, and my other my other thing that I would just point out is- so, I, Sorry, 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 sorry. Just to, just to finish that. It de-incentivizes that sort of behavior, which is to say what I would have been if I were acting purely selfishly and I understood that this government thing was going to mm -hmm. happen. What I would have done is live it up much more in my 20s. Spend, I never spent money on alcohol. I never went out to eat. I would have enjoyed more of that. And then somebody else, everybody else would have paid the bill for that as opposed to what I'm happy that I did was, you know, build a business and pay it myself. Well, there's also, and this isn't a straw man, I literally know people like this, people who have student loans and rather than pay them off, they get BMWs. And so you're going to give that person $50,000 to pay off their student loan, even though they had money that they chose to spend elsewhere. And you're going to not give money to the person who skipped college because mm -hmm. they didn't want the burden or worked hard to pay it off. And it just, it just seems strange to me. And it also doesn't even address the core problem that we are apparently trying to address, which is that colleges are not worth the price they charge for admission. No, it's a college so, bailout, man. This so, is a bailout of universities who, who would eventually have to suffer the consequences of producing a group of people who realize that their their service wasn't worth it. Right. Versus, let's say, you change student loans so that they can be gone. You can go bankrupt on a student loan. Schools will actually look at applicants <laughs> and go, oh, is this, the kind, is this someone that I think can pay back the loan? Or do I think, based on their application and their degree that they can't afford $40,000 a year. Well, if they can't afford it, maybe don't let them come and charge them $40,000 a year. It would create different price tiers for colleges. The student loan forgiveness, not only do I think it's a bad use of $650 billion, or at least let's say not the best use, and I think it excludes people that you should help, like people who didn't go to college or who were able to pay off their loans by being really frugal, you don't even solve the core problem. So now in 30 years, you're just going to have the exact same issue of people with a ton of student loans because you don't do anything to change the college admission or funding process. So I, it just seems like a very strange policy that is incredibly popular for yeah. some reason that I don't 
fully get other than the fact that I guess people want to get fifty thousand yeah. dollars if they have I'll loans. add I'll add one more to that, which is uh, we talked we talked about the turning point and how generational how you're raised and your early life experiences uh, influence how you behave for the rest of your life, such that the people who grew up in the Great Depression <laughs> died with a ton of money because they hoarded it and saved it. Yep. Now this is later in life; it's eighteen, but I do think it's a pivotal experience to not to live off credit and have it just be fine. And I think that's actually how my generation was raised, which is I'll pay for it tomorrow. I'll pay for it tomorrow. It'll be mm-hmm. okay. And they're, they're bumping up against, Oh crap. That was not maybe the best call. I bumped up against that. I was, I mean, I lived like an idiot when I was in college. Like I, I did go out. I did spend money on beer because I had those student loan thing and they did came with an associated like, Oh, I'm flush right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I only adjusted when I encountered a different way of, being yeah uh that was necessitated by the fact that i didn't i couldn't i had no money i couldn't do anything and i think it's 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 a real it'd be a real shame to teach people that you can go deeply into debt wake up and it can disappear i don't think that lessons are learned that way i want to address an objection that i foresee which is well i went to school and i picked a fine major and I have worked really hard and I have been frugal, but because the cost was so high, I still have loans. Yeah. I'm not saying we can't spend $650 billion and have some of that go to you. Yeah. I'm saying it should go to you and, and the mm-hmm. person who didn't go to college and the person who ate nothing but ramen noodle and paid off their student loans. We should have a different metric for helping. And it should involve current circumstances above just how much debt do I have today? Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's bad to use government money. And and so, yeah, people are saying, well, I need this because I am frugal and I'm working hard, but I'm just drowning in my debt. In this new program I'm suggesting, you would probably get help. Yeah. But this is just such a lazy way to come up with a policy for $650 billion, in my opinion. And the fact that we can so quickly come up with examples of people that should get help who don't and who shouldn't get help but do by using this policy. I have not had anyone, when I bring this up, give me a compelling reason why it should come to pass. And mm-hmm. so not only do I not like the policy, it's weird that people are pressuring the president to do it by executive order so that it won't even go through Congress. So yeah, that that's just my thoughts on it. Yeah, no, I'm, to, to be clear as well, I'm very much for top-down redistribution. I think that income inequality is a problem for everyone, including people that have a lot of money because you don't want to live in a society that has what feels like a permanent underclass or people are are indentured wage servants their whole life and and also like can't create new engaging amazing things for everyone else mm-hmm. uh, i just think that the the incentive you you get what you pay for you know and so now you've paid for a bunch of people who didn't think how they were going to pay for stuff and now expect that that's how the world is going to be and you exclude and they're going to come back for yeah. you again the next time their mortgage gets you higher mm-hmm. there's no lesson of don't do the debt yeah, it would make if if this had been me, and I could tell you, if it was me at twenty four, I'd of course personally, oh yeah, let's do this, no, baby. It's very hard. <laughs> We're asking people to think outside themselves, which is very very hard. So I appreciate people who might be hearing this and hating yeah, it I'll because do. this means that instead of getting fifty grand, you're going to get twenty five. Yeah, because it's going to the same six fifty is going to go to twice as many people. Mm-hmm. Let's say so. I appreciate that that's not a fun pill to swallow, but I think ethically and philosophically, there's just it's just not a sound policy. If I was, I mean, it would have changed me. And I'm, I'm glad that my route and took the route that it did. It would have changed me to have had yet another period of time that was consequenceless mm-hmm. in my life. And I've been very lucky that 
I do think it's important that kids are shielded from consequences of their actions. So like you want to put the fork in the thing. No, you can't. Like, we're going to take this away. You made a big mistake. Don't worry. I'm going to cover for you. Uh, I think that's very, very important for kids to have a bubble mm-hmm. to a degree. And I think that at some point you want to reduce and remove that. And it would be a real shame. God, because you know what I would have done is not that it would have been wrong. I would have gone to school for I would have taken eight more years of philosophy and <laughs> and never helped hmm. anybody at any point. And I just would have had it constantly been yeah, yeah. paid and I probably wouldn't have a podcast. I'd be writing obscure philosophy papers that were read by six people because <laughs> I wouldn't have had to go out into the world and, and try to make things that people wanted. Um, so just to be clear. I am 100% on board with you. I want a redistribution. I'd be happy if it was more than 650. I want it targeted from people that have an affluence, which I include myself in, and trust me, I pay (laughs) quite a good amount of taxes uh, to people that need it. But I don't want that metric to be has student loans. Yeah, me that I made a has student loans. I I made a decision that I can't pay for. That's all. So I think we're clear. Cool. Do you have other stuff? I do. They're random and not time sensitive. It's 124. You want to keep ripping or you want to switch to questions? It's up to you, dude. Uh, I'll save it. These are all, these can all work anytime, I think. Let me look real quick. Oh, there's one that's kind of, I guess, a little bit time sensitive, assuming COVID doesn't or goes away. We can talk about it. Uh, performative caring is something that I'm interested in these days that I see. Uh, so, for instance, people going to Black Lives Matter protests for 15 minutes to get an Instagram story and then bouncing or that girl who after the riots took a story of her drilling um, in California to to fix a window and then walked away as soon as the Instagram story is done. And the reason I was thinking about this is because today we have all these policies about masks and I had COVID about a month ago. My impression and I would have to double check this with doctors is that I can't I can't really get COVID again. It's very rare. And so I can't be giving people COVID. But I still wear a mask because of public shame, I guess. And it mm-hmm. just reminded me, I was like, oh, now I'm participating in this performative mm-hmm. thing where I'm not actually concerned about getting it or giving it because I already had it a month ago. If a doctor were to tell me that that's not the case, then this would not be performative. But as is, based on my understanding, just wearing a mask so that when other people look at me, they're not angry. And and, uh, and I think there's a, there's, there's a wrinkle to that, which is that if, uh, if you take off your mask, which I think is to my medical knowledge, would be safe, that you wouldn't know who else was safe and who wasn't, who was who was the wolf in sheep's clothes <laughs> pretending that they had had COVID or were inoculated. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying is I'm, I, I wonder if we need a new policy besides everyone has to wear a mask, like prove that you got the vaccine or that mm-hmm. you got uh, COVID, show that you have the antibodies and then get a, a necklace tattoo. or a bracelet <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Like it just, I feel like we're not trying to actually solve for not get people COVID. Mm-hmm. Or maybe what we're saying is like, listen, just everyone wear a mask, even if you don't need to, because if a hundred percent of people wear the mask, then no one gets COVID. But I guess it's not, it doesn't seem like there's an efficiency to it, if that makes sense. Correct. Well, the efficiency is that it's one general blanket rule that is easier to apply and check. That's the efficiency. Yeah. It's not uh, comfortable for, you know, you say, because you don't want to wear a mask at the gym. I just see, it just feels weird to me. I'm putting this on and it's... I know that I don't a need complete it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show. yeah. yeah I know just a compl- I'm just going, I'm wearing this 
while I go for a walk and it's uh, yeah, I, for I, appearances. Sure, but th- so are shirts on hot days. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I don't need this. I'm very comfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I just want to fit in. And so I'm not going to show my nipples. Like, <laughs> Well, dude, you know, we used to get weird looks all the time because we'd walk around shirtless on hot we days. We were the two so guys I'm, in I'm the, the lower wrong east, guy to talk to. In the Lower East Side of New York that were had no shirts on in the summer. Yeah, yeah we, were, we were weird about that. I understand what you're saying, though. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It just seemed, it was just strange to me. Like literally every time I go for a walk, I grab the mask and I go, this is functionless now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This is a vestigial tail from back before I had COVID. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I have, I have one more thing that's just sort of related to that is um, we were talking last time we talked to uh, Anthony from Street Epistemology mm-hmm. about how to discuss with people. And then I later was talking to my dad about that conversation he was like, yeah, I thought that that was really interesting. I think that's a really good way to uh, persuade people. And what I said to him was like, I don't, I don't want to get too much on the vegan thing. But I said, just so you know, I've kind of done that with you for about three years now. I've led by example. I haven't eaten the turkey at things. And you've never expressed any interest mm-hmm. in stopping eating meat. So I'm just going to try a different tack that is anti-street epistemology for 10 minutes. And I'm going to yell at you (laughs) and like just for funsies, just to see how that goes. Because uh, while I think that street epistemology keeps relationships friendly, it it doesn't have teeth (laughs) in a certain way. Uh, And I was like, just so you know, uh, I think you should watch this documentary, this documentary and this documentary. And I think what you're doing is uh, completely careless. And I don't think, you know. So it was just an interesting conversation to take a different way. And I will say he contacted me yesterday and had been thinking about it. Mm. So not saying the street epistemology is good or bad, but that there seems to be value sometimes in direct confrontational conversation. Well, you're also not strangers. I wonder if the relationship yeah. matters. Street epistemology so. is a complete stranger and he's going up to people and ta- saying, oh, sure. you live in a Mormon community. Let's talk about God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So basically... If you change your mind, it's going to just destroy your friendships. You'll be excommunicated. You'll have to be exiled. And I'm a stranger versus you're saying, if you change your mind, you have to stop eating factory farm meat. It's not actually going to destroy your life like a Mormon leaving his community. Mm-hmm. And I'm your son. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that. Sure. They're like tools for different situations. Yes. And I think that's that's what I sort of took from that. Is, is one is a hammer. One is a screwdriver. One is not better than the other. Mm-hmm. They operate differently. Uh, and if your goal is impact, you need to be able to use both at the appropriate time. Yeah. And the other thought that I was talking about, because we discussed. Um, well, Abe Lincoln didn't do the slavery thing by doing street epistemology. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think? It's, like, hey, it's fucking illegal. So <laughs> yeah. good luck, guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? You you didn't 30 walk, days. <laughs> you didn't just walk to every person and say, hey, let's have a yeah. What do you think? Yeah. And I, I, that's that's just an important Cool. That's all. Mm-hmm. It's, it, 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 and sometimes necessary. Well, this is the other thing is the value or lack of value of judgment. We discussed this a little, you and I off camera, mm-hmm. but um, we were talking, you went to MDMA, you talked that I judge you and other, you felt judged by other people in your life. And I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and was thinking about it. And it's, I don't think it is simply, at least in 3D, good or bad judgment because we also talked about times where like i was going to do things that we talked about as immoral there was a there was a case where there was a girl in las vegas who had a boyfriend who was trying to sleep with me mm-hmm. and i definitely would have done it like 100 but i swear to god jiminy cricket in my head was like you're gonna have to tell ben and he's gonna look at you in a certain way tomorrow 
And that was just like over and over in my head. Yeah. And so I didn't do it, which I Your think. Your fear of my judgment. Yes. Led you to what you think was the, a good behavior. Yes. Which is not what I the girl think the was a good behavior. Yeah. Right. And so and and then it, I didn't and I didn't have to get the look the next day. Mm-hmm. And it it seemed like it seemed like the good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if if there is good and bad in the world, which is an if that we can discuss, there is value to judgment in that it shames you into doing the good. Well, even when you don't want to sometimes, sometimes I'll just repeat what I said off air. So yeah. just so. The problem we're solving for is that we lack sometimes empathy or love for strangers. And so another alternative to judgment, which is incredibly hard to get to, is caring about other people as if they were you. And yeah. if you were you sitting in the bed and you were you, the boyfriend, the boyfriend waiting back home. in Canada, yeah. you would go, okay, I don't know who I am in this situation. Veil of ignorance. I'm going to sleep with this person and maybe get the joy of an orgasm. I'm going to be the guy getting cheated on. I choose no one to have sex that night. Yeah. And so I think the judgment serves as a tool because we aren't good at that, feeling that in real time. And so I think a way to act ethically without judgment would be strengthening that muscle. Yes. Being able to go, okay, listen, I'm super turned on, which studies have shown means I'm going to make terrible decisions, (laughs) but somehow I'm still going to do this. I'm going to imagine I'm that guy. I'm going to imagine I'm me. And I'm both of us. What do I want to have happen? No. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? The good that I'm going to get doesn't outweigh the harm that I'm going to cause that person. Mm -hmm. And so that's when you don't need judgment. But the problem is that what we all we all care way more about the pleasure we get than the harm we cause a stranger in a different continent. Yep. And so then the judgment comes in. And so what the judgment essentially does is it it adds a stick to you. So what Mm -hmm. you're saying is like. Well, that guy's got a stick, but it, but what we all feel is like, it's not my stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got not, carrots, that, that guy gets a stick. That guy gets a stick. I don't, I don't care. So right. what judgment, judgment does is, is it goes, uh, you're going to get the whip. It's mm-hmm. going to be on you. There's going to be shame. There's going to be difficulty. You're going to have to deal with the consequences that are directly to you, mm-hmm. even if you can't empathize with that person. So I think where it's, it's not the end all for certain, like it's definitely not where you want to wind up is, is a set of morality and a way of being that is completely judgment based. Mm-hmm. It is definitely though. I mean, it's it's what we teach children. Bad. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's. Well, I'll just speak for myself because I don't. Th- I think this is an impossible thing to ask of everyone on the planet. But I view it as a. It's the it's the wheels on the bicycle for Anyways, a kid. It's yeah. the training wheels until I can get my empathy up. I agree. And then I will no longer need the self judgment, and I will no longer need to judge others, and I won't care about the judgment of others because I will have trained that empathy. Mm -hmm. But that's not a very strong muscle for me at the moment. And so judgment is helpful in terms of ethics. Yes. And then there's this weird time where it's you take the training whales off and you you fall. (laughs) You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like and and I I think that what falling is in this metaphor is like it's doing a bad thing because you removed a bad thing because you removed the self-judgment or the judgment of others. And Mm -hmm. it's there's a period of time where you know you do sleep with that girl and you hurt that guy and you do that thing can you just take the training wheels and move them up a little bit well so maybe technically you're yeah, yeah. on two wheels and you like, tilt <laughs> over it catches you and, and you, you don't go, fall oh, no, as hard. riding at an angle well so and yeah and you don't fall quite as hard yeah. perhaps um you you kiss her and then think better of it or, or i don't know yeah um but no i think i don't i don't have the answer to any of it but it is that's my impression from what little i understand about enlightenment is that judgment is the 
it's aping what it would be if you were everybody. Yes. But if you felt everything, it's 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 faking that and using a, a it's a kind good, of mean mechanism in order to do it. Yeah, it's a good tool when you can't do the other thing. Mm -hmm. But if you were able to do the other thing, judgment would be inferior and unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's uh, what's also interesting is that I think that you get to a place of not judgment much faster by like just taking the training wheels off and falling is my impression. I could be wrong, but but living with yeah, the concept. how you want to go. I mean, that's Mike. Man yeah. Mm, what's his name? Logan Paul's Mike, the producer. Malak. Majlak. Well, that guy. That's his whole thing is he was a drug addict for a decade. So they're like, how do you not judge your girlfriend for being a porn star? He goes, well, I did a bunch of really fucked up <laughs> shit when I was on drugs for 10 years. So yeah. it's hard for me to judge anyone. So mm -hmm. he has no judgment. But I think that's not necessarily a path I want to go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've done so much horrible shit that now it's non-issue. Mm hmm not my preferred path of sure and then there's the idea that his uh good and bad are egoic concepts of things that we like and that we don't like and that we prefer to happen and we don't prefer but if you step outside of the ego everything is perfect including the most horrible thing that you can think of because it's all you you know whatever it's all consciousness just playing games with itself so there's never been a good and there's never been a bad that is a place that i have seen a handful of times in psychedelic experiences but has not uh that's like f six levels beyond yeah where, yeah where, and I'm, I'm not we don't have to go into i'm not super convinced yet that that's a useful place to come from well it's not useful that's the whole point it's it like you you discard with practicality you discard with usefulness sorry just i is, think it's a hypothesis but not necessarily the truth Yes. Okay. So that that would be, uh, it would, yes. That that is true. Is a different claim than that is useful. Yeah, I think it's we're all matter and energy. Mm -hmm. True. We're all universal consciousness that is one part of the same consciousness. Depends how you define consciousness, I mm -hmm. guess. Because unless you give it a really really broad definition, then I would say that's a maybe, but not mm -hmm. necessarily a yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. What else do we have? I think that's it. Oh, wait, I might have one more. This one is totally random, but Pokemon cards. Okay. You've brought it up a couple times on the podcast. I know nothing about it. Have I? Today? Uh, yeah, you've said Pokemon cards like four times today. Did I? Yeah. Dude, are they actually selling at the price that people say that they're selling at? I think it's a Ponzi scheme. So I don't know. This this is uh, hyper speculative. There's all these claims. Charizard cards are worth fifty thousand dollars. Yada yada is worth fifty thousand. I think I don't blame any particular individual. That there's all this. Uh, you know, we look in the blue book and we see how much this card is is selling for. I would be really interested to see if there are actually markets being made mm. reliably at the claimed price of these Pokemon cards. And I think what I've heard is now Logan Paul is doing a deal with some card creator to get like the Logan Paul series. I think they understand what's happening and Logan's going to get paid the amount of money when he sells his signature card. You know, he'll get made. He'll say, oh, I made 250K. Uh, but that's, it's a Ponzi scheme. Nobody actually wants a Charizard that somebody else opened. They want to open the Charizard and put it on their stream and feel really special about it. Mm. But I sincerely doubt that there are markets for first edition Pokemon cards where people are buying cards from somebody else. I think it's all BS. And I could be wrong. And if you sold your Pokemon cards 50 times, you can let me know in the comments. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's been a market for sports cards for a really long time, which is it's, it's cratered. 
It's absolutely just been destroyed. I did this with my dad, which really? is why I think. Oh yeah, we had. I I used to love this. My dad had all the Mickey Mantles. We I was so into this. We we would go and like invest in cards. You can't sell them, man. Like no. Our friend does this now. Still, there's very okay. The the average. There's a handful of cards that people spent like Honus Wagner or something was eight hundred thousand dollar card at one point that actually yeah. sold. But with the price that is claimed for so many of these is not actually the price at which markets are being made. Mm. It is There's a price a big, in a book. Big bid ask spread. If yes, you will. yes, exactly. Ah, seven people got that reference. Exactly. So the value of a card to somebody who like opens it in a in a deck is super high, and the yes. value of somebody buying it out of their thing, out of their little slip and putting it in theirs is there's just way fewer of those people, at least in in yeah, yeah. baseball cards. When I was, you know, a kid. it's got a real market. Magic the Gathering cards. Does it? It's legit. Yeah, I used to live in that world as a kid. So, so people pay the price. Well, I don't know what I mean. I don't know how insane they were at the mm-hmm. time. They weren't two hundred fifty thousand dollars. They're forty cards, bucks or but fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah. they're hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. And people would buy them for the utility. They're just like, I, sure. I want this card, and I want to win. Building a deck. Yeah, it relies on this synergy. I'd rather just buy the card than try to open seven hundred dollars worth of packs. I'll just get these, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was a real thing, but it wasn't for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, that's the thing. Are people playing Pokemon? Like, there's there was utility to that card yeah. and it was a hundred dollars and there was enough people with a hundred dollars who cared enough. I wish there still was dude. How many people it's are like, I that need this gone. Charizard. I guess, what is the utility? You're going to put it on a frame in your wall or say that you have it. I, I don't know that it's, it's there, but if I'm wrong, I don't know. Me. That's a market I know nothing about. I, I honestly see the YouTube thumbnails, but I've never watched. So mm-hmm. what, what does that look like when Logan Paul, here's a video. It says put Charizard $250,000. Yeah, what pulls is a, that video? Pulls a card, says that it's worth that much money. Um, and he might be able to sell his for that much. And I think he's making like a signature series where he signs his name. And I think that could be worth that much. But I think what it does and the reason that they want to work with Logan is it's a Ponzi scheme that inf- that fake inflates the value of all of their other cards and gets people more mm-hmm. interested in it when really people do, the resale value is not what it's being claimed Are at. Are Pokemon cards the Bitcoin of Gen Z? Uh, <laughs> maybe they'll just there's a finite amount of them yeah and they have to mine them <laughs> oh my god that's the new fiat currency it takes energy i thought it was bitcoin like an idiot it's a mint mint version one charizard it could be wrong so let's do questions nice uh first one is how can i be charismatic in group settings where everyone is older than me i'm 22 and when i go to dinners with my parents i want to have a good time with their friends as well but when I try to participate in the conversation, I usually end up sitting quietly watching everyone else have a good time. It's like everyone at the table, including myself, subconsciously assumes that I'm not in the group. How can I stay involved in the conversation and have a good time with everyone, even when I'm the youngest in the room? Being young in a room. And I guess it didn't say what sort of topics they're discussing. Nope, nothing in particular. Got it. What do you think? I don't know. 22 is an interesting age because everybody's so different. When I was 22, I was living by myself or with friends. I wasn't getting parental money. I was on Wall Street. If I came home, I and my parents acted like I was just an obvious participant in the conversation. So I, I've never encountered this. This is the truth. I, I've never felt this problem. Hmm. Like, I guess if you're 22 and you are still in college and you haven't had a job, it kind of makes sense that you would be viewed as a college student and not an adult. And if you're 22 and you support yourself financially, I don't know why your parents wouldn't value your opinion like in this. So I'm just trying to understand. I'm trying to work through and paint 
this picture in my head. So I will try to answer this just as I'm in a group of people that I am not speaking up in, which is a more general question, which may or may not apply here. Okay. Okay. So you're in a group of people. You're not being included in the conversation. Uh, I think it's to number one, there's probably a handful of questions that will get thrown your way. How's college? How's this? You know, whatever. Like, it's not like you're a zero. And so it's going to be knocking those little ones out of the park. And what I mean by that is uh, intriguing people with your answer. Yeah, you don't just monologue for 10 minutes. So if you're you're saying, you know, oh, how's college going? You're like, it's good. It's pretty good. It's like, okay, well, you just just kind of blew an opportunity to get a hook versus if you know that your mother and father are interested in finances because they like to talk about stocks. You're like, it's good. I, you know, I, I just joined this, uh, this stock picking group. They've actually, you know, I've actually made some money off it. Oh, really? Like, how much money did you make? So I don't know exactly what's going to be of interest to them, but it's, it's identifying the sort of common questions that are asked in any particular sort of thing and finding a way to relate it back to what people care about briefly, which will cause them to ask you a question, which means that you can elaborate and share more of what you've been learning, find valuable about it, et cetera. Yeah. And you want to leave open loops, which is you want to, you want to, leave unanswered questions that will mm-hmm. create curiosity. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of calibrating to the audience because what you don't want to do is just talk for 30 minutes because someone looked at you once because mm-hmm. then they won't look at you again because they don't want you to monologue for 30 minutes. Yeah. But you also don't just to your point just want to say, "Oh yeah, it's good." So the you know what you're trying to solve for is leaving interesting breadcrumbs out for them to voluntarily mm-hmm. follow. And the other thing is uh directing questions. So obviously conversation is going to go and if they're championing it in the direction that they go, but you could say, hey, you know, uncle, dad, mom, I wanted to ask you, I was thinking, uh, did you, this might be weird, but did you date a lot in college or did you ever blank in college? And you're relating it to they could turn it around and include you in this sort of a conversation. So did you ever have any internships when you were in college? You know, what were they like? Oh, that's interesting because mine, my boss just makes me get coffee the whole time i feel like it's a waste of time or actually you know mine like i'm actually getting to write these things or whatever so it's uh teeing people up for questions that you actually might be interested in because they might have something to say or teach you about but that the flip side of which you can comment on um so that would be the broad two things take the make sure that you're not not taking the chances that you are given to participate in lead conversation and two guide the topic to something that you naturally have more to share about via questions. Yeah. And something you're kind of saying unspoken is also consider what's interesting to the people you're talking to. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if I'm talking to a bunch of people that don't like sports and I'm going on and on about 76ers, they're going to hate that and want me to shut up. Yeah. And I will say like when I go back to uh, my family, I, it's funny, talk the least of not, not my, my extended family. Mm -hmm. When I'm in that group, I talk the least and it's because my life is so different from everybody that they, uh, you know, it, it just nothing. There's not a lot of hooks that are natural to my life mm-hmm. with things that they're interested in. But I am okay with that because I talk about I talk way too fucking much. I talk on this podcast. I talk all the time. So you can also, if you ever get to a point, you can just be like, "Cool." When I'm around this group of people, I'm a listener. I'm a learner. And it sounds like you don't like that, but just wanted to throw out that that is an option, which mm-hmm. which I take with family sometimes. Sure. Cool. Next is, I'm just curious to know what your belief structure is around the idea of a god, or more specifically, a creator. Well, for simulation, there's definitely a one and or more creators, so that's a good point for the creator camp. Mm-hmm. So what is your what is yours? I think there's a better than zero, or sorry, I think there's a better than 50% chance this is a simulation. Mm-hmm. So 
if this is a simulation, then we definitely have creators. I'm unconvinced by any doctrine, which is to say, I think all the written religions that I have come across are incorrect if you take them literally from start to finish of their book. Mm -hmm. That's just my opinion from what I've seen. But yeah, if you think we're living in a computer code, then there's a 100% chance someone coded it. Mm -hmm. So you would say that there is a, but there is a base physical reality out there beyond maybe levels of simulation above. Yeah. And we are, we are a technological manifestation of like what you might see just really sophisticated weather pattern. And it's like, we see it's going here, but we're part of that simulation of weather. And it is so yeah, detailed. Yeah, yes, that, that, exactly. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so you lost me at the weather pattern for a second, but yes, I think we're inside of a, whatever the real world's version of a computer program is. Yeah. So just if this is base reality, I personally don't think that there's a uh, traditional Judeo-Christian God creator mm. if this isn't a simulation, which I'm not 100%. But you could scale all the way out. So let's say, for instance, the weather pattern idea is we simulate weather patterns. We run like 100 tests to see which way it's yeah. likely to break. We're living in one. So what we're saying is we got so good at simulating weather patterns that we literally simulate every person and every atom because to, we want it precise. Effect. Because we want it precise. Yeah. And that's how good our tech is. And we're just like one of 10,000 things if there's going to be a nor'easter. Yeah. In some, or but like if you get to reality prime, I, try, I make no claims on reality. Yeah, yeah. If this is a simulation, I make no claims on reality prime at all. So there mm -hmm. might be a religious text in reality prime that mm -hmm. is right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, basically if we're simulation, there's a creator. And if, there, if we're not, then... I don't think there is in the sense of the way a book lays it out. That's Got my it. that's my belief system. Got it. What about you? Hmm. What is my belief system? I don't know. It's very loose, I would say. I I like Leo from actualize.org, I would say, articulates what I think. I do think it's because I just did MDMA two days ago. So this is a psychedelic take. Mm -hmm. I would say best guess is that many of the mystical traditions tapped into something more deeply true, which is that um, the world that appears physical and fears, uh, feels physical actually has its base in mind or consciousness, which is not the mind that you're thinking right now. It is sort of like, uh, the best way to think of this world is kind of like a dream. This is perhaps the best the best metaphor, which seems totally real and totally consistent and it plays by its own internal set of rules, but actually all that there is, is um, some mind that is dreaming and that mind is um, bigger than me and I'm a tiny piece of it and Ben's a tiny piece of it, but I'm not any more of it than Ben is or the this is or anything. It's just, just what is that mind? That mind is tough to describe. I and mean, this is what people say. And Leo describes it as uh, God, infinite consciousness, the absolute, the the that you get when you're <laughs> the buzzing that you that you get when you're on Bufo or something like that. Um, but sorry, this God exists in a world of gods. This is this is the only consciousness that is. Infinite I think that, that is? I think that so layers of truth right you know all the way down so what is true is like this this is a black case that's true with what you might say a lowercase t um but capital t would be unity oneness everything that is not bored but is playing with itself so that it splits itself into different things and then hides from itself and like you know pretends to be me and pretends to be ben and pretends to agree and disagree and then pretends to do this just because it's all that there is why the fuck not so it's everything, though. This consciousness does not have a twin. 
this consciousness is I, everything. Yes, yes, that would be it. That it is a unity and a oneness. And Leo tries to, I mean, he takes four hours and over many different videos, but you can check out his um, actualize.org, I would say, has informed some of mine that have been corroborated to my, to sufficient for me to go, yeah, sure, in my own psychedelic experiences, which is like, what is God is one of his videos, reality explained. Uh, so yeah, you can put him on two times. He's kind of a slow speaker, but that would be me. So this consciousness is creating consciously the way that God in the Bible does. It goes, I'm going to make myself a Charlie or it is dreaming where it's technically I create my dreams, but not unless I'm lucid dreaming, not yeah, I don't on purpose. Know. It, I don't know. I don't know. Like all of this is uh, very tough to to put into words. And I think as soon as you put into words, it's just, it's no longer true with a capital T <laughs> at mm -hmm. that point. Um, what is, metaphors are the closest. Yeah, a dream. I don't know if it's consciously doing it or if it's spontaneously happening or even what the difference between those two would would be. Well, I guess what I would say is if I try to build a sandcastle, I have... I'm a creator of the sandcastle. I had a vision in my head of what the sandcastle would look like. Maybe I didn't get it perfect, but I made it consciously. When I dream, I create an entire alternate reality in my mind subconsciously. Mm -hmm. So technically the creator of both, but I think Judeo-Christian God would be creating like a sandcastle. Consciously, yes, yes. It is not such that There's God There's like him and then he makes this, yes. It's not that God made us <clears throat> unthinkingly the way that I shape a dream. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So your version of God creates a sandcastle that is Charlie and then another one that is Ben and then plays with them like action figures. Or I don't I don't it's think, like a dream. I don't think either of those holds it, This is what's tough is that there's the concept of non dual and both of those descriptions that you have are dual. There's a God and he makes a sandcastle. There's mm -hmm. a mind and it makes a dream. It's like the mind is the, the dream. The, the sandcastle is the God. And it's it's uh I under, like totally, and I listened to it the first time. I was like, this is insufficient explanation. <laughs> like this means nothing. Mm -hmm. This is such a vacuous statement so as to be not worth uttering. And that's truly how I feel about it. It's like, it's not even worth saying mm. uh, because it's- That's how I feel. That's how I feel listening to it. I'm like, this it's is- It's totally vacuous. Blah, blah. It, it's it, exactly. Because what do you say about the ineffable? Nothing. Like the best I can do is like take it down to the a metaphor that is so far removed from what it actually is. And mm -hmm. you have reasonable questions about, well, when you create it, is it created like this or like this? I'm like, it's not actually created. Like it, there's nothing to say. <laughs> um, so that's, that's, yeah, I guess the, the, the feeling I, I understand to a degree why silence is truer when you're kind of talking about yeah, some yeah. of these questions. From a third party perspective, it sounds like a cop out when silence is the yeah. best explanation. Sure, sure. Not saying it's not true. But totally, just totally. Like and and that perspective comes from the a belief, true, false, doesn't, you know, that um, this is the way things work mm -hmm. and uh, definitions are useful representations of things that can be corroborated or not. And uh, language is a really good way to break down and understand the world. And that's true. But my not whole the capital life. T truth. Exactly. And then as soon as you get there, it's like, what the, the fuck is there to say? Just take the bufo, man. I don't know. I have. I'm taking it all. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, the bufo didn't hit you. Mm -hmm. The bufo, you just kind of laid there. No, I done ayahuasca, mushrooms, MDMA, bufo, yeah. acid. Uh, I'll try watching uh, actualize.org. But yeah, I have. Uh, I don't think you'll find it compelling. Uh, I don't think like it didn't. 
dude, I watched it. I watched all the hours. I was trying to, again, you try to grasp it and mm. it, you can't like, and it's, it's, it is not, if it's a finger pointing at the moon, it's all these pain in the ass Has Zen he, parables. Does he think he reached his enlightenment through meditation, through psychedelics? I think, well, I know what he says. He says meditation is hugely useful, but he's like, look, if you want the fast track to get there in three years instead of 40 psychedelics Got it. are. So he's an advocate for psychedelics. Yes. But he also takes uh, 30-day silent retreats by himself in the woods. Mm. And is like, dude, I went deep. And then he does like 5-MeO DMT. He's like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was that was deeper. Yeah. So. Makes sense. All right. Well, hopefully that's answering your question. <laughs> yeah. That, now you know what I think. <laughs> um, next is kind of a sentiment that was popular for Uh-oh. the uh, cosmos cosmic skeptic video and it was that uh killing a human or animal painlessly aka without suffering fails to take into account the pleasure that they would miss out on is this yeah. not worth factoring into the equation i i wish we'd spoken about this with him because i i after thinking about his moral view of the world which is that there is one metric and it's suffering and the only goal is to reduce suffering to me i had the same thought afterwards like it's missing its flip side it's missing joy why did we not justin did we, did we not say that we might not have gotten to the we didn't get part. deep to it i tried to say i feel like this is missing something. the most moral thing one could do if suffering is the only thing is find access to every nuclear arsenal simultaneously set them yeah, off yeah. and eliminate everything in a blink yeah, that we, would we be say that. the most perfect moral action and he also was reasoning from a different place that i didn't totally understand mine was uh which he seemed to think was a bit insufficient was I actually start the grounding of my moral philosophy in feeling. And I'm not shy about that. Like suffering feels bad. Pleasure feels good. Um, it, it's not reasonable that that's the case, but it, it is. And, and that's where a lot of my moral instincts come from. But yeah, I, I had the same thought. I was like, this is missing mm. joy. This is missing pleasure. And that's why I, when we were talking about killing someone in their sleep, I'm like, you're taking something from them. But mm-hmm. his his perspective seemed to be that, no, like if they're not suffering and and there's no cascading effects in which there probably would be, yeah. then that would be totally fine. And I agree yeah, with, yeah. with uh, that sentiment. Cool, yeah. Good sentiment, shared. Tough to have these conversations in real time sometimes. People also bring up four things at once. You're yeah. not sure where to go. And there's like, crappy internet. Yeah. No, I, I, think, I appreciate it as a viewer. It can be frustrating. But from our perspective, it is tough also as, because people, you don't want to cut them off every time they say something you disagree with. And they might say four things you disagree with. And then you have to pick the one you think is most important to address. Mm-hmm. But as a viewer, maybe you thought a different one was wrong and even more important to address. And we just don't get to it. So I appreciate that. I apologize. We're doing our best. Yeah. Uh, but I, I share that sentiment that sometimes... There are too many things that I want to disagree with. But as soon as I voice one, now we're down Now we're down that daisy chain and there's just no circling back to the other three. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep, 100%. Yeah, no, that was that was my big takeaway after that. I was like, we're missing, it's just, it's just the negative half. It's just reduction of the negative half. Like yeah. there has to be, there has to be joy. There yeah. has to be, um, yeah, it's, and I, again, I'm sure he has answers for the level one sophisticated questions, but it's like, so is it, if I love someone and give them a hug or take them somewhere and they were not going to suffer that day at all and they experienced joy as a result of that, is that a morally neutral action because it had no impact on suffering? Well, he would say, yeah, because his, his, that's what he said. The only or maybe, I'm, maybe I'm misunderstanding him. 
Uh, but to me, it's like, no, that's a good thing to yeah. spread joy and love. And that, that, ha- that then acquires a positive quality. So that's all I got. Well done, commenters. We Dope. agree. Patreon? Yeah, let's do it. We want to talk about it? Chill it? Oh, yes. Yeah, we need you guys. We appreciate you all. Uh, we are going to be doing our Dungeons and Dragons. We're settling on a DM and all that kind of stuff that will be on Patreon once we get it all squared away. But you guys truly do make it happen. You're the ones that we count on every month to be able to to pay Justin, and we appreciate you very much. So if you want to join Patreon, we have a ton of questions you get to ask at this point, one a month that we can answer. And I think it, we typically go another 30 to 60 minutes on these Patreon. So that's if you want more, yeah, we go like an hour. We've, hour well, I'm, that's I don't I want to undersell it because the truth is we've gone an hour and a half to two hours. Plus, there's a backlog. And uh, that's all on Patreon if you want to join. So. And because you didn't really say the Dungeons and Dragons thing, but we're considering doing Dungeons and Dragons one shots with guests. So if you know influencers or news people or whoever that you follow that aren't us, but who have expressed that they like D&D, D&D. that's what we're looking for. We're looking to get not that they would play, but like Vosh and Coleman Hughes, mm-hmm. two people who would normally just hate each other and see if when we make them a barbarian and a wizard, we can instead have an interesting, fun time. I think it has the potential to be a lot of fun. So if you guys have suggestions for who would make a good guest for future one shots, let us know in the comments. Cool. See you guys in Patreon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.